This is the CIS podcast, What You Need to Know About, with Carla Pincott. In recent times, we've seen governments rely increasingly on expert advice, and this is often touted as being a great thing. But today we're joined by Peter Curdy, whose latest paper, Authority, Expertise and Democracy, Should Those Who Know Best Rule the Rest of Us? outlines some of the dangers of this growing reliance. Peter, what are some of these dangers and how did they play out in particular instances such as the Commonwealth Games that were cancelled and the COVID pandemic? Well, we see a particular example of the way in which I argue that experts can distort the democratic process during the COVID, um, uh, in the COVID pandemic. Um, no society today can do without experts. Things it's science and technology are so complex that, that politicians elected by us to serve in parliaments need to have experts to advise them. My concern is that politicians are deferring unnecessarily and unduly to experts and in fact delegating to experts uh, the authority that actually belongs to politicians. It's what one political scientist has called the problem of double delegation, where um, elected representatives delegate again, to whom we delegate authority, delegate in turn to experts who are unaccountable. Now, you asked about the COVID and the Commonwealth Games. I'll take COVID first. We saw how in COVID, um, elected representatives, elected leaders, consistently and constantly deferred to the authority um, of chief medical officers who are unelected and who are unaccountable uh, to the rest of us. And they made decisions, uh, elected representatives, elected leaders, premiers, uh, acted on the basis of that advice without, it seems to me, uh, weighing the wider costs and benefits um, that, that, that needed to be taken into account. Commonwealth Games was an interesting example where the, uh, the, the, the government in Victoria was advised by a consultancy firm about the costs uh, entailed in, um, in hosting the Games. The Victorian government decided to go ahead and then when the costs blew out, claimed that these were unexpected and unintended and blamed experts for having, as it were, put the government in the position where it could no longer afford to do what it had undertaken to do. What I argue politicians need to do, they are elected by us, um, and what I argue that they need to do is to assume responsibility for the decisions that they have to make, to weigh the advice of experts, but not to allow the decision-making itself to remain in the hands of experts. Well, an American president famously had a plaque on his desk saying the buck stops here. This suggests that with the use of, or the increasing use of experts, that politicians can say, well, a buck doesn't stop with me, it stops somewhere else. That's right. And um, it, it comes back to this problem of what I've called double delegation, uh, that, that it's, a, it's a form of buck passing where politicians will say, well, we only followed the best advice, the advice rests with, uh, with the experts. We're seeing at the moment, at the beginning of August in 2023, how this is unravelling in terms of uh, coverage of the COVID pandemic, because what's starting to emerge is that uh, um, uh, experts, public health experts in the United States, were suppressing different points of view and making sure that only one view prevailed. That position that they promulgated, uh, in turn, influenced the actions of politicians who didn't, it seems to me, and it seems to those who are working on this issue at the moment and exploring it further, who didn't weigh 
in appropriate ways the costs uh, and the implications of, of imposing those recommended policies. Your paper outlines three, what you call cultural contours that could provide a foundation for appropriate use of expertise. Can you put in simple terms what those three cultural contours are? I talk about cultural contours because there is no formula that we can adopt to decide when and how to use experts. Every situation is different. Climate science is different from public health. Uh, engineering is different from law. There is no one formula that we can adopt. The issue is what, how much authority, what one scholar calls the length of the leash, how much authority, how long a leash do we give to experts? It must be long enough to allow them to function effectively and with a degree of autonomy. It must be short enough uh, for, uh, for them to be held accountable to politicians and through politicians to the rest of us. Given that it's very difficult to come up with one calculation for the length of that leash, I've argued that what we need to do is develop these cultural contours that you refer to, and there are three of them. The first is tolerance of dissent. We need to become better at tolerating dissent, and by that I mean we need to be able to discuss dissenting opinions. We need to be able to canvas different points of view. During COVID, we saw how only one point of view was permitted, only one point of view prevailed, and people who, who raised opposing voices were denounced. We need to be much better if we are to engage with experts and to, and to incorporate them in the process of government. We need to be much better at, uh, at, at tolerating dissenting point of views and be able to discuss them. So the first cultural contour is tolerance of dissent. The second is what I've called political integrity. I think very often politicians hide behind expert advice. Uh, it's almost as if they're so risk averse that they want to be able to say, all I did was follow the best advice. If it went wrong, if the, uh, if, if the decision turns out to have been a bad one, don't blame me, blame the expert. What I want to see is, uh, is, more, is a greater degree of political courage. I think politicians need to have steel in their spines so that they and and accept responsibility, full responsibility for the decisions that that are made, and to allow expert advice to inform those decisions, but not simply to hand over the the decision making role entirely to experts. I think uh, that often it's a lack of political courage that fosters that kind of behaviour because politicians don't want to be caught out and they don't want to be uh, seen to have been acting uh, well they don't seem to they don't want to be seen to have have made a mistake in the decisions that they made so let's have more political courage so they're, they're concentrating less on steel in their spines and a little lower down and coverage of the derriere perhaps correct correct and the third the third contour i refer to is institutional integrity and that's a much more bro broad wide-ranging idea and by that I really mean uh, the uh, point the process the processes whereby um, experts are appointed needs to be transparent the criteria for appointment needs to be clear who gets appointed to which roles and why those people who are appointed do then need to be held accountable there needs to be um, accountability for for budgets and for the use of other resources I think, uh, and in even more general terms, uh, appropriate codes of conduct, codes of ethics, can help to guide and shape the way in which experts function. I think institutional integrity is something that really needs to uh, in infuse our political culture 
so that the, the, the members of the public, voters like you and I, can have confidence that government has been conducted in an appropriate way, informed by expert advice, but always with responsibility resting finally and confidently with politicians. And, and you mentioned members of the public there, and this brings me to my final question. Is there a danger, and I'll use an analogy, uh, people have posited that governments going into heavily into debt has influenced households to be more comfortable with debt. With the growing use of expertise in the public space, could this actually skew and influence people's views of their own individual responsibility in their personal and their career lives? I think it can because if we become over-dependent on unaccountable expert advice, we tend not to be willing to act unless we have that kind of advice. It's as if we're looking for a kind of security to overcome our aversion to risk. Um, and, and, I, and I think risk aversion is linked very much to personal responsibility uh, because it's as if we're not prepared to assume responsibility for our own decisions, to, uh, to assume the risk that you know, most acts of daily life entail. Um, and we want instead to be assured that nothing can go wrong and we won't act until we do have that assurance. So I think responsibility, uh, autonomy, uh, a willingness to bear risk are all very much part of this. And I think that if we, um, if we accord an appropriate place to expert advice, then we will be far better at cultivating those, those habits of life ourselves, a habit, uh, habits of life that foster um, responsibility, autonomy, uh, a willingness to, 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 to bear risk. I want to say that I'm not anti-experts. I'm not saying we can dispense with experts. In our complex technocratic society, experts are, the use of experts is inevitable. We can't do without them. What I'm arguing is that we need to use experts in an appropriate way uh, that, fosters an, uh, that fosters good decision-making, good government, and above all, responsible government. So in a way, I, I want to say that experts need to be on tap rather than on top. We'll be back soon explaining what you need to know about the key developments in Australia.